Two, one, boom. Hotep Jesus. Of all the Jesuses I know, he's the Hotepiest. Social scientist and YouTube host, Hotep Jesus. How the fuck do you get a name like Hotep Jesus? The one and only Hotep Jesus. Ryan Sharp, better known to the world as Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep, Hotep, Hotep Jesus. Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. Somebody said... What do you think you are? Some kind of Hotep Jesus? Ooh, and that's I was good. Just like, ooh, that's sexy. <laughs> yes, I do think I'm Hotep <laughs> Jesus. That, that, funny enough, it's actually not. It sounds very Jewish. It sounds very Ashkenazi Jewish, but there's non-Jews with the last name Pinsky. It's it's like a Polish ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Griff Report. I'm your host, Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. I have a very, very special guest for you today. We have a controversial conversation for you today. I have a former IDF soldier joining me on the sh on the show today, Rafi Pinsky. Rafi, what's up, bro? What's going on? What's going on, Mr. Mr. Jesus? Um, Where are you? So real quick, just to give you guys a bit of context of how this came about, you know, so what happened was over the weekend, I flew to Israel. I met with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and I decided to speak with one of his. No, nah, I'm kidding. We met at um, <laughs> Donovan Sharp's uh, CME, uh, Conference for Masculine Excellence. You know, I um, spoke at that event, had a really great time, really awesome event, really great group of men. And uh, Rafi was there. We got to speaking, and he told me who he was and his past, and we uh, agreed to do a talk on this uh, conversation. So here we are. I want to get right into the nuts and bolts of this. But just to prove to everybody you are who you say you are, can you give us some background on your life or career as an IDF soldier? Okay, so I served in the West Bank primarily. That's where our unit was stationed. I served from the beginning of 2016 to the end of 2017. Uh, it was a combat position. Uh, it was a sharpshooter. Oh, people, pe people listening to that are like, oh, 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 what did you get yourself into? So uh, there was it was a very intense experience. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. Hold on now. Hold on. You were a sharpshooter. What were you firing? Uh, an M4. M4? Mm -hmm. What's the range on that thing? So you have an ACOG site. Okay. Familiar. I don't know if you're familiar. So just to be clear, it's not a sniper. It's different. Okay. Snipers are have sniper rifles. This is just something where you have a scope that's a little bit better than kind of everyone else's. In America, the ACOG is typically issued to, as far as I know, it's pretty standard. Okay. This isn't a spectacular, you know, um, what would you call it? Uh, this isn't something that's equal to becoming a sniper. A sniper is, is a much more, you know, closely targeted, uh, I guess you can argue, uh, I don't know why I'm not having trouble articulating this idea, but you meaning there are different le there are levels to this, right? Yes, so yes. Sharpshooter is kind of a level below sniper. In order to become a sniper, you have to go through longer sniper training. training. It takes more correct. It takes more time. Yeah. Um, so, so you're a sharpshooter, right? So Firing an M4. You got a super scope on that bad boy. Okay, continue. Right. So we. So what kind of rounds are going in there? The five five six. Ooh, five five six NATO. Yeah, well, you know, typical, typical rifle bullets, rifle bullets. Yeah, five, five, six. So, were. so, so we, so we were uh, primarily our job was to con conduct arrests, uh, riot control, uh, checkpoints, lots of things like that. Obviously, we did we did patrols as well because there are a lot of roads in the West Bank that have Israeli and Palestinian cars driving on the roads, and 
lots of times there are Molotov cocktails thrown from the from the mountains, from the hills. Okay. Or there are very large rocks thrown from the mountains or the hills. You know, both sides do it. I would say much more so it's usually the Arab side and the Jewish side. But unfortunately, people die in those instances on both sides. Yeah. So there, it's it's a very hectic situation. It's kind of like the wild, wild west of Israel. Okay. And so there's been a military presence there for quite some time. All right. And so that was definitely an experience for me. It taught me a lot. I think going in How there, long had, did you do this for? A year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. Now, real quick, what did you do before that? I was in college. I was in college in New York. Wait, what? So how, yeah. how do you go from grew, college I, in New York to the IDF? I, I will gladly explain. A good, okay. A very good question. So I grew up in Brooklyn. Most of my family lives in Israel. And I went to school, you know, went to college, went through Jewish private school, went to college, did three years of college, and decided I wanted to go to the Israeli army. This has been something I wanted to do as a kid. My family grew up very, very, as very proud Jews. And this was the kind of thing that I knew would be part of my journey. And even as a kid in my, my high school year or my elementary school yearbook, rather, I wrote that that's what I would, that was something I would be doing in say the next 10 years. I even forgot that I put it in. Cause I remember now that when I remember when I, when I wrote that in the yearbook, that wasn't something I thought I'd ever do. I was too scared to do it at the time. Mm. And so down the road, it ended up coming to fruition. Third, three years into college, I decided to get up and go went with a very good friend of mine and did that year and a half, came back, finished my undergrad, graduated, moved on to, to other things. I'm now a real estate agent. And so that, yeah, the experience taught me a lot, taught okay. me so much. So are you able to turn the volume up on your, um, on your, uh, mic? Yeah, definitely. Better now? Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So, all right. So, little boy wanted to be in the army. I pretty much wrote the same thing in my yearbook. I want actually, I want to be SWAT. Um, and then, you know, you're in Brooklyn. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna go and become an IDF soldier. So, you uh, are in great shape. I'm assuming at that time. So, you know, boot camp wasn't that serious for you, right? No, it was. It was fairly easy. It was fairly easy. I actually, in retrospect, I kind of wanted to go to a you know, I was in a standard military unit. It's a great unit. Um, you know, we've done lots of work and it's, we primarily focus on, you know, anti-terror, urban warfare, because different units have different specialties. Right. So there's a unit I, you know, I thought about going to, but I was, you know, I'm still an American guy. And I thought to myself, I don't know if I want to spend too much time there. My friends are going to come back and get married. You know, these are thoughts as just a younger guy, which later on, I realized that none of that mattered. Yeah. Um, and just to throw this in there, I'm very support. I'm I'm a very proud American. I just find that as in, a, in the American army at the time, I wasn't interested in going to Afghanistan and getting my legs blown off. I just didn't see, I didn't see the value in that, to be honest. I thought we should have left there a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so it was more so about being, being in the Israeli army than it was about being in the military. You get what I'm saying? Just yeah. going to a military. Okay. Yeah. Specifically, you wanted to be in the Israeli army, not just any military. You want to be in the Israeli right. army. So um, you were um, stationed on the border or what kind of stuff were you doing there? Because I know you said mentioned some border patrol stuff, right? Checkpoints. Right. So no, we were not on border. I, we okay. were not on borders at all. We were, we were, we had bases in different parts of the West Bank. Okay. So we would typically have arrests ever so often. It would just depend on which group was going out. Mm -hmm. And so we went into different 
villages and if there were people that were wanted for certain reasons we would go and arrest them and then there would also be there were there was riot control because every friday there were certain villages that would come out and protest and we didn't want that we didn't want the protest to spill out onto the major roads so we would come there try to quell the riots before they got into anything serious and usually they weren't serious riots they're usually just protest people holding banners and whatnot and these protests were happening so frequently because there are a lot of these uh, you know, press organizations that promote this. They want the press, they want the videos, they want the footage, they want the views and clicks. And a lot of it I don't think is altruistic. They just have Palestinians who can give them that great content. And they go, go out and riot, go out and protest, we'll give you funding. And that's what tend to, tended to happen. And obviously, once the army comes in, it now becomes a bigger thing. But it's a double-edged sword, because if we don't show up, they see we're not around, it could turn into something more drastic. So that was kind of, it was just like a, a, a cat and mouse game every week. And it was very pointless a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but it was what it was. All right. So we're going to get into some of those um, dealings. I want to real quick see what your version of the history of the uh, uh, Palestine-Israel conflict is. How, how do you give us a brief timeline of uh, what happened in that region historically? Okay. Okay, so it's hard to do it briefly because it's very long and it depends on where you start. Right. You know, ultimately this land has been, it's been fought over about 55 times throughout history. It's been, you know, conquered, I think maybe 42 or 44 times. It's been fought over, especially Jerusalem, over and over and over and over. Meaning practically every empire in the world has had a piece of this land at some point or another. Yeah. And, you know, in more recent times, you know, the Jews after the Holocaust were seeking refuge. Mm-hmm. The Jews in the Arab world soon after came and joined them. You know, Ethiopian Jews came as well. And there was a large exodus from what we call the diaspora towards Israel. And, you know, there were moments in time where the Arabs, what we would call Palestinians, you know, under the British mandate of Palestine, were accepting of that. And they said, okay, you know, you, you guys need somewhere to be. You know, you're the people of the book. We, we can kind of understand that. And there, were, there was tolerance. The Jews started to come in in droves, and the British were again ruling at the time. And the partition plan in '47 stated that, okay, we have to make something work. Let's give the Jews part of the land. Let's give the Arabs part of the land. And then, say la vie, hopefully, everyone can be happy and shake hands. Now, the Jews said, you know what? Listen, I mean, we're just happy to have something at this point. We're happy to have part of the land where we were, you know, we were promised and we've been praying. For Jerusalem since the beginning, every holiday, everything we do, uh, you know, has to do with Judea, um, excuse me, Jerusalem. It's just, it's, it's part of our fabric. And so we finally had that and we were okay with it. And the Arab world on the other hand said, wait a minute, we let some of you guys in. We're not exactly okay with the idea of sharing this. And so the war of independence began, you know, we, we, uh, uh, we fought several armies. We were surrounded, you know, severely outnumbered. We won the war against all odds, and we took more land. And so the situation you can you can argue very easily isn't a fair situation, but on the other hand, every land throughout history has been contested. Every land, more or less, every land has been conquered, taken over, fought for. Uh, conquest, you know, Islamic conquest has been done, uh, or you know, Islamic conversion has been done partially through trade, and by people actually wanting to become Muslim on their own accord. 
but it was largely done through forced conquest. It was done through, you know, conversion without people saying, oh, we, you know, we'd love you to conquer our country. Uh, and Christianity largely happened the same way. So this isn't me kind of saying, oh, well, you did it too. The point is, is as Jews, we never had the interest in converting people or conquering land. We want one piece of land. So that's what we want. And uh, especially after you fight a war, there's a saying, all's fair in love and war. If you had the option to share a land which technically was ruled by the British, is it fair that the Jews came back and inconvenienced you to some extent? You can argue that. But then after you, you, you fight a war where the Arab armies are, are outnumbering us, kind of like the movie 300, and we win, and now you want to complain that it's not fair, we won. Well, how'd you win the war? It, you know, despite all odds. Surely you well, wouldn't fight like okay. 300 with swords. <laughs> okay, okay. So yes, there were weapons, but it wasn't like they had nothing. So we did have, we did have a certain level of funding, but we fought the war as soldiers by ourselves. There weren't other militaries that came and helped us. So the idea that we were able to win is a crazy idea. Now, you know, other, the other countries did have air forces. So I, I wouldn't, not every single one, they were paramilitaries, but if you, you know, not everyone likes the Wikipedia sources. So you, you can find the stats on the, on the War of Independence on other sites. But if you look at the numbers, the numbers of Arab soldiers versus Jewish soldiers, it's, it's an incredible difference. And so it's crazy to me that we won. I think it's insane, to be honest. And the fact that we won the Yom Kippur War, we won the Six-Day War, all these wars were similar circumstances where we were severely outnumbered. And so if your goal as, an, as Arab armies to fight a multi-front war is to either obliterate or just, you know, give us the inability to now have Israel as an independent state, your goal is to either kill us or control us, and you fail on multiple occasions, I mean, what are you going to say then? You lost. And you didn't just lose once. You lost over and over again. So at some point, you got to accept, okay, you know what? These, these, these Jews are just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's God. Maybe they're just great at coming together and fighting wars. But regardless, we didn't accomplish our goal. And at some point, we're going to have to accept that it is what it is. And this is, again, a very logical point because a lot of people, whether they're Jews or Muslims or Christians, they come at it from a very, they come at it from a very prophetic point of view where it says, oh, well, you know, the Jews were promised the land, so it's theirs. Yeah, but you know, other people don't give a shit, to be honest, right? Atheists don't care. Muslims or Christians may not care. So as Jews, sure, maybe we have that point of view. And the three, you know, the three religions all do mention that. But Islam and Christianity also have a different version of how things end up, right? So in that, we can't, that using that argument doesn't seem to work very well. But my argument is very, I mean, it's not simple in its, you know, the, the situation is not simple. But the point is, is you had a goal of eradicating us. You lost. Now you want to cry about it. Mm. You get me? Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, on the Jewish side of things, historically, mm. were there any um, occurrences of terrorism? Were there any in, in occurrences of terrorism? I See, here's the thing. As a Jew, obviously, I want to defend my people, but I can't deny that there were things that Jews did in establishing the state of Israel that definitely weren't good things. I think in, you know... So you um, would say, yes, there was. Yes. I, yeah. I, would, I guess I would have to call it that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it sucks to do that, but I think <laughs> if we're being honest... No, I mean, it, it, you'll have people that try to ask people to condemn Hamas and do those other things. Um. 
I do think there was an element of that where we did have to go in, you know, we went into certain Arab villages, we killed a lot of people. It, it's just what happened. And it sucks to admit it. I don't think in this day and age that it's something we'd, we'd ever want to do. Um, now, obviously, that opens your mind to saying, oh, well, what about bombing of Gaza and whatnot? Um, I, I never condone things that Jews do if they're not good things. But I also understand that people are human and we fuck up a lot. Like, we, people sin. So, yes, it, it's, just, it's a shame because there were definitely atrocities that happened from our side, for sure. Yeah. Um, real quick, audience, um, if you'd like to ask uh, Rafi a question here, he's definitely open. Uh, super chat. And uh, I'll be able to uh, answer those questions. If you're over on Rumble, shout out to our Rumblers. Uh, go ahead and um, drop a Rumble rant and we'll go ahead and um, I'll ask Rafi that question on your behalf. Um, so the chat is already saying that they respect your honesty. And uh, that's something I respected when we, you know, spoke. Um, I think it was yesterday, right? No, Saturday. We spoke Saturday night at the dinner. And uh, you were very, very frank about this situation. Um, so let's fast forward. We have some historical context. You have admitted that this is a form of colo uh, colonialism, right? Where, you know, Israel uh, is was created with the colonialist mindset. They won the war. It's their region. They call the shots, right? Um, and there is some unfair treatment. I don't think you would deny that there were some crimes by the IDF itself against Palestinians and innocents as well, right? I mean, I think that's that's that you have to admit that, and I think that there's no army in the world that's that's innocent of that, right? So any country that wants to come along and say, "Oh well, look at the fifty-seven things you did wrong," I mean, you've probably committed four hundred <laughs> more than we have. America, Putin, all these other groups condemning. Have your opinions. Just because you do something wrong doesn't mean you don't have the right to denounce wrongdoing of someone else. Right. But you do have to, when you point one finger, there's three pointed at you. So I think it's it's very funny when everyone tries to point the finger. The reality is that humans are, are savages, okay? There's lots of good ones, there's lots of bad ones. The most dangerous beings on earth are human beings. And uh, it's just very interesting how people really stick to sides. I'm just seeing the different... And I think you'll very much agree with this. Muslims naturally support Palestinians right off the rip. Jews support Israel right off the rip. Many of many people on both sides don't know jack shit about the situation. They don't. All they do is they show up when there's a war. They focus on the media that helps push their narrative and what they want to believe. And mind you, I'm very pro-Israel. I am very proud to be Jewish. I am a Zionist. Uh, we can go into that. I'm not denying, like, I am very, very vocal on what, what side I'm on at the end of the day. So I am not non, I'm not just non-biased floating in the wind. I'm not Switzerland here at all. But at the same time, I do have, I do have sympathy and empathy, empathy for the other side. And I get that there are a lot of good people on the other side. At the end of the day, you sort of have this color war because Muslims feel this obligation to support Palestine. It's, it, it's this Muslim, uh, what we'd call like a khalif, you know, caliphate. They want the flag of Palestine to to be you know put on the on a, on Al-Aqsa Mosque. They want there to be a, a Muslim presence, and it's funny because a lot of them live in the Western world where they can be gay and have all these freedoms, and not wear a hijab. But then they'll they'll talk about how they want that, and if they had that, they probably wouldn't have those freedoms that they have in the states, which is very interesting. The same way you have like queers for Palestine, which is the most 
idiotic concept I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes absolutely zero sense. It's very right. funny. It's cute, but it makes no sense. It's huge, huge amounts of uh, ignorance being displayed there. Mm. Yeah. It's just so dumb. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So really quick, um, I, I just want to touch on um, some of what you just talked about there as far as like Muslims and Jews and everybody's picking sides, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what is the end goal for Israel and Palestine? Because for some people, it looks like, look, we taking over this whole region. Ain't no more Palestine. It's just Israel. Is that true? Mm -hmm. There are absolutely Jews who want that. And I couldn't say I completely blame them. There are Jews in Israel that had family members die and they're sick and tired of it. And they say to hell with them all. Let's flatten the whole thing and take it over. Back in the day, medieval times, times of the Vikings, you know, Romans, whatnot, they would they would take siege of a, of a piece of land and pretty much kill everybody. And this happened throughout history. Now we live in a much more cushy world where people have a very hard time accepting the, the brutal truth of what humans are capable of. And we have our, our phones and we do all these cute things and we, we, we have these little safe rooms and we're overly worried about our feelings. So we can't accept that human beings have vendettas and want revenge and have, you know, horrible things happen to them. And they just, there comes a point where people don't care. Right. And we can talk about the Hamas side because that's where a lot of pro-Palestinians are like, you know what, it, anything's justified at this point. Think about how, how, how horrible their lives are. So we'll go into that in a moment. But to answer your question, Israel first and foremost needs to get rid of Hamas. And I heard you talking about how Israel had a part to play in Hamas coming to power in the first place. We can go into that too. But the idea at the end of the day is this. There are two, there are really two options here. Either the Palestinians and the overall Arab and Muslim world accept that the Jews are not going anywhere because for 75 years, we've been doing a hell of a good job, you know, keeping things. Well, I way. think it's obvious you're not going nowhere. It's the question is, are the Palestinians going somewhere? No, no, no. So <laughs> I listen, we have so many similarities. You know, I'm a lighter skinned guy. You go to Israel, a lot of people don't know this. And I say, I've said this on my podcast many times. People have this idea, especially Muslims have this idea that Israel just has a bunch of English speaking Jews that are just white as hell and completely look out of place in the Middle East. You go to Israel, most of them are very dark. They're brown skin, olive skin. They look just as Middle Eastern as everybody else. And they genetically are. At the end of the day, you can talk whatever shit you want. But most Jews, there have been Jews that, that have converted, there are Jews have that have married non-Jews. The Jewish uh, lineage has been very, very strong, whether it's Ashkenazi, Mizrahi, or, or, or Sephardic Jewry. And so the Jews from the Middle East are in every sense of the word, the real Jews, as much as people want to try to say they aren't. And so when you go there, it'll be very difficult for most people to differentiate between who the Palestinians and the Israelis are, especially like the Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. Mm -hmm. They're all wearing tracksuits. They're all smoking cigarettes. They all have these like douchebag haircuts. They all eat the same food. They listen to similar music. They like the same shit. They, it's just, that's the very funny thing about it. And so it's not that I want, I want peace between both sides, but I think there's a, to a large degree, the Arab world has this pride about them where they can't accept a defeat. They can't take the L and it's hard to take the L very hard to take the L, but the Palestinians have to ask themselves if they want to continue trying to fight us until they maybe by some possible imagination defeat us and continue to suffer for generation after generation after generation 
or they say, you know what? The Jews aren't so bad. They built a pretty cool country. It's pretty free compared to most of our countries. Maybe we should just live here in peace. We've let well, the, y'all don't allow people to have guns in Israel. You're saying the, the Arabs can't have guns? No, Israelis. Don't you guys Israelis? have like anti-2A laws? No, Israelis can have guns. It depends on where they are. Depends on where they are. Depends on which part of the country they live in. Okay, explain that to me. It's gotten much much easier for Israelis to get. So what does the two-ways law look like? Am I allowed to have as many firearms as I want? Do they have to be handguns? Can I have rifles? What are the restrictions on that stuff? Okay, so as far as I understand, this isn't actually something I know that much about, surprisingly. I do know that in the West Bank, it's much, much easier for an Israeli citizen to get a gun, to get a, a handgun or a rifle, for example. In places like Jerusalem, if you don't have prior combat experience in the military, it's not necessarily that easy, nor is it that easy to, to become a security guard and things like that. There's a very strong value put on Israeli citizens who have prior combat experience because contrary to popular belief, it's not like every Israeli is in, was in a combat role. It's a very small percentage of Israelis who actually join combat roles. Most are just in intelligence. They have desk work. They, they're combat support. But maybe ten to twelve percent of the of the country actually serves in combat positions. So the the argument many Americans have been saying is, you know, after the Hamas attacks that transpired a couple of weeks ago, if the Israelis on the border had weapons or access to weapons, um, it wouldn't have been as bad. That's a valid point, and there's a lot of controversy around that, saying like Israel allowed it. You know, as far as a chessboard, you know, they, they use this. Andrew Tate was talking about this. And there's a lot of speculation. I don't have proof as to whether that's true or not. And I, and I, I have a little more faith in Netanyahu that he would never do something that evil. I can't. I don't have proof. So for now, I'm going to assume that that wasn't the case. Well, we're more concerned about Israeli I'm, citizens I'm just, being able to defend themselves. Okay, because okay, I wasn't sure where you're going with that. No, just Israeli citizens being able to defend themselves, right? Okay. Like, you, you know, if, if they're— on the border of Gaza, you know, um, and, you know, they had two-way laws similar to Texas and in America, and, you know, these people would have been armed and it might be a deterrent to terrorism. Yes, but most of, again, a lot of the Israeli citizens along the border of Gaza are not mostly a lot of women and children or they're just people who were not ready for it. If they had a, a highly substantial military presence there at the time, I'm sure it would have been different. It's very no, no. What I'm saying is, if those women had firearms, like if I go to Atlanta, Georgia, right, and I pull up on one of the black sisters down there, chances are she probably got a Glock in her purse. Yes, that's a one-on-one situation. When you have maybe two thousand people coming in, they don't have just have guns; they have grenades, they have RPGs. They they're coming in aggressively. You understand? It's a different. Well, it's 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 it's, when you come in aggressively, right? So you got two Mm -hmm. scenarios. You have one scenario where you come in aggressively and there's a completely unarmed population. There's another one where you come in aggressively and there's an armed population. You would Mm -hmm. say that there's a difference there, clear difference. Sure. And again, I'm surprised. We're all surprised. I'm very surprised that they were not stopped at the border and an Apache helicopter didn't just take them out. I'm very surprised by that. It's an answer. I don't have a. It's a question I don't have an answer to. Well, no, I'm not really worried about you know Israel's defense, right? In this question, no, I, get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Even what? so, even so, there definitely were civilians on the border that had guns. There okay, were, definitely, definitely, okay. but they weren't able to stop the massacre from happening. Fast. Right, 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 right. Yeah, right. No, I'm just showing you the ar- the the argument online is, you know, had it been 
armed like Texas, the terrorists would have somewhat of a deterrence. I would agree, but it's still interesting because there, I know for sure there are Israelis, on, you know, in that area that have weapons. So it's, I don't know. So some parts of Israel, you can have a weapon and some other parts is really hard to get a license. Correct. Harder. Harder. There's so many soldiers. There's so many officers. There's so much security. It's a, it's a heavily guarded and protected country. It's, it's yeah. not like if someone commits something, there's usually a cop around the block. There's usually someone right then and there with a weapon. So, so where do you where do you stand? Do you believe the official story, or or um, do you think there's some plausibility that uh, the powers that be could have allowed it to happen? I don't want to believe it, and okay. I don't have proof of it. And so, until I have proof of it, I'm not going to think that. Um, I do believe that Hamas was heavily prepared. I think as Jews, we don't really want to give them credit. And when I say credit, that doesn't mean. I think people can understand what that means. I consider them terrorists. However, they seem to have been prepared for supposedly over a year. They had a plan, and Iran is helping them. They must have; they were probably trained on how to do the things that they did. At the same time, I'm still very surprised that they were still able to get through the way they did. And there were speculations that there were cyber attacks, that the cameras were hacked, or uh, any of the alarms that would have normally gone off didn't which is definitely possible. We have to admit, we have to be willing to say, maybe we think we've always got it, and, and in this instance, we didn't. What I can say is, at least thank God, once it happened, we took care of it pretty quickly. We got things under control fairly quickly, not as nearly as quickly as we should have. But at this point in time, it's pretty much the threat is, is I mean, it's, it's not gone, but within the country itself, most of them have either been killed or arrested. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's put a bookmark right there. We're going to come back to that. You mentioned you were a Zionist. I, I want to give my definition of a Zionist and you can tell me if I'm correct or not. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, I think Zionist means, uh, you know, uh, 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 a state for Jews, uh, independent state for Jews. It does. Is that what that means? But it has a much deeper context. You okay. know, Zionism comes from Zion, which the idea of that is is having self-determination specifically in Jerusalem. You know, Zion is another word for Jerusalem and it's it's something we've it's something in the Old Testament. You know, the the word Zion is is very, very, very commonly, you know, used. And so people when they think of Zionism, they think of this like colonialist regime that just wants to take over and kill people and, and whatnot. For us, it was the only real movement that actually got Jews from all over the world back into the country that we've longed to come back to. So did it do things perfectly? Absolutely not. But it accomplished the goal that it sought to accomplish. And that's bringing the Jews back to where they are. And so I think people who hate Israel or who are very staunchly anti-Israel, they always like to use it as some kind of, again, colonialist concept. And to me, it is just the movement that was successful in getting the job done. And I also wanted to touch base on the colonial thing. Even though we took the land through through warfare, this land isn't some land that we're foreign to. Like, sure, the you know the current Jews haven't been to this land in a long time. You know, there have been Jews for many many generations that have stayed there. There are Jews that that were able to stay who are a very small number. I I even believe that there's a group of Palestinians that probably have Jewish ancestry. Absolutely, high, highly likely. If if all the Palestinians took DNA tests, very confident. 
a nice amount of them would, would have Jewish DNA. It only yeah. makes sense. It only makes sense. Absolutely. Which is a crazy idea because we could very well likely be fighting our own people. Correct. We just don't I, know I, it. I truly believe that. We just don't know it. And unless they're willing, they should, we should literally do that though. We should literally get them all to take DNA tests. <laughs> okay. But the funny thing is Jews wouldn't get Palestine as a DNA because it says at the end of the day, this is Israel. It's always been that way. It's Judea. It's where the Jews come from. All religions admit it. If we're having, first of all, if we're having a religious argument, I believe the Jews win single easily, win this argument easily. If we, but I don't like to have the religious argument because most, many people don't care about the religious argument. But if you're a very religious Christian, Muslim, or Jew, it's very evident that God promised the land to the Jewish people. And so if you, you know, that's just, that's my, my point. Okay. Um, let's talk about the fact that uh, Israel is partly responsible in create, creating Hamas. True or false? I watched the video before I did the podcast on this, and you know, there's an understanding that it was democratically elected. They're serving 20 years into their four-year term. There have been lots of countries who have, you know, we talk about, say, in America with, with Al-Qaeda, I think it was. And so there definitely is a possibility that Israel figured if we're going to take the Jews out of, out of Gaza at the time, which was called Gush Katif in 2005, I think it was August, August 21 of 2005. And so, which was horrible for the Israelis living there because the, the army literally pulled them out in order to create some sort of Palestinian territory. And so we figured, okay, well, they need, they need their own government. They need someone to rule. And I heard your point of saying, well, will they put them into power so they could defeat them. At the end of the day, neither you or I have any proof to that. And you can always look at anything that happens and say there's an ulterior motive. At the end of the day, I don't think, I don't think Israel put them into power knowing when they were going to defeat them, what the ultimate goal was, what was going to happen. You know, they are, they are who they are now and they are where they are. So we're in a very, very difficult position of deciding whether we continue this war, whether we destroy Hamas, whether we take over Gaza. So this, the, we'll go into that more, but I want to stick on onto the topic you asked. So um, mentioned Al-Qaeda, right? So we have Hillary Clinton on record saying that the United States helped create Al-Qaeda in mm -hmm. order to, uh, you know, destabilize the Soviet Union's power in the region of Afghanistan, et cetera, right? Um, so Hamas is uh, partly created. Benjamin Netanyahu has admitted this, his video, his transcripts. He said it many times that, mm -hmm. you know, we need to affirm Hamas. Um, this happened in the 80s uh, to oppose Yasser Arafat. Um, so uh, Israel did, in fact, assist, uh, according to Benjamin Netanyahu, um, Hamas. That's not my words. That's right. It, it listen. It could be very likely, and I'm I could I'm be. Do my research. Right. Well, I'll do my research afterwards. Oh, okay, so you don't know. Right. I don't, oh, okay. I don't know the right. I don't know the full. I'm not going to admit I know something if I don't. Right. That's good. Okay. That's yeah, a good I'm thing. I'm not going to do that because you end up getting caught with your pants down. I'm not interested in doing that. Yeah. Um. Right. I just don't want this to be a situation where you take on the criticism that many Jews take. Right. Where they say. 
look, they're deflecting. They don't want to admit it. You know, they always lie, right? The deceptive Mm. Jew. Like, I just don't want that to be the situation. So I want to be very clear to my audience that this is a fact of you're just not familiar with the uh, Mm -hmm. creation of Hamas in that regard. Because I don't know it deeply, meaning I don't understand. I don't necessarily, I don't know deeply whether they, you know, how much Israel had a part to play in who ran Gaza. Yeah. Like I'm being very 100% genuine with you. Yeah. What I do understand, though, is they're, what they're doing now isn't working very well, okay? Because the leaders of Hamas are enormously wealthy. Most of them are living in Qatar. And they're not building much infrastructure. Their goal, their charter, very specifically, talks about what their goals are. And I just, if Israel had a part to play in, in Hamas's election, I don't think that they knew necessarily that they were going to go and create this charter which was going to call for the annihilation of israel you know the the pa isn't definitely isn't pro-israel but it's a lot more stable than hamas yeah so what i would do is i would just look into various pieces of history specifically um the communist uh revolution in china um Mm -hmm. which was pretty much backed by uh, russia and Russia played the nationalists versus the uh, communists and then at some point squashed the nationalists and replaced the whole country with communism. Um, America, like we just said, with Al-Qaeda, like we said, with ISIS, um, like we said, with uh, um, Hussein, uh, mm-hmm. Saddam Hussein, uh, even um, uh, 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 Osama bin Laden was a CIA trained agent, right? Who turned around and became an uh, enemy of us. So, you know, just anybody with a modicum of, of historical knowledge uh, would know that when you train somebody that they could become an enemy. So that that just says either the people running Israel are really dumb and incompetent or they knew better. Right. And and I lean more towards the side of they're not dumb and incompetent. They knew better. They knew that this thing would come back and bite them in the ass later. Mm. So you think that that so you, what you're trying to say is they had an they had an ability to elect them knowing it would bite them in the ass later. And then they, they'd have ability an ability to fight them and then possibly wage a major war like we're having now. That's what you're speculating. Yeah. Interesting. OK, so that's a valid point. I do have to do more research on how Hamas may have been elected. What I do know now, though, at the it's end not of really the day, about like you keep saying election. Right. And and I'm really mm-hmm. talking about funding. Like there was mm-hmm. massive amounts of funding. Even George Soros admits to funding, um, you know, Hamas and Palestine projects. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's a Jew. And people are like, well, Jews would never support Hamas. And I'm like, well, George Soros will. <laughs> you know? Uh, yes, it, I think, first of all, most Jews are not pro-George Soros. Correct. Very much not. Right. But then, yeah, I mean, th- I hear your points, but then again, there's just, this is just a common, this is a common thing among so many different nations. You have now Arab countries who have peace with Israel. They're very, they're doing very well. Like Saudi Arabia. Sure. They're prospering. They're doing very well. And I think they've accepted that at the end of the day, the Jews have established a state. And overall, aside from the conflict, they're very successful and they've brought a lot of prosperity. They've done you know, the technology they brought to the world. They've done a lot of good things. And so you can always focus on the negative sides of things as opposed to the positive sides of things. 
Um, also, something I want to ask you. Since well, you it's not really about focus on the positive and negative. I think it's more mm -hmm. focused on the truth. But what do you want to ask me? I do, but I do think that that's a component. Um, in terms of why do you think the Arab world is in so much turmoil? Why do I think the Arab world is in so much turmoil? Well, I don't think it is. Because is Qatar in turmoil? Saudi Arabia in turmoil? Is Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, their ability to control oil prices via OPEC? I wouldn't call that, you know, what's the term you said? Turmoil. Turmoil? Yeah, I wouldn't call that turmoil. I would call that power. Um, and the trillions of dollars that the Arab world holds in U.S. Treasury bonds, I, I would say they have a lot of power. I wouldn't say they have turmoil. I think we might have, you know, some cases like, uh, you know, the little area in Canaan called Palestine or, you know, Iraq or Iran. There may be, you know, different factions of Shiite Muslims versus Sunni Muslims and all this type of stuff, which is an internal religious conflict. But for the most part, I look at Arabs as having uh, a tremendous amount of power and not much turmoil at, at all. Uh, however, I do, I think uh, uh, much of that has to do with Western influence and the toppling of the Ottoman Empire. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're saying that the Arab countries that aren't doing well are strictly because of Western influence or Western interference and all that? Well, you can't gaslight me and say strictly because I never said strictly. I don't I don't even think I just said strictly. You did. I'm just I'm we're playing devil's advocate here. No, you did. You did say strictly. Okay, if I said it, I said it. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying away from it, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the the Arab there are Arab countries, the Gulf countries are very successful. There are lots of other countries who aren't. So my question is why are some of these countries in the situation they're in? Do you believe that it's because of it, that's why I did say strictly because it makes sense. Do you believe that that Amer that the Western world is mostly to blame for that? Or do you think that within the Arab countries such as Yemen uh, Iraq, yeah, the West is mostly to blame. Countries, okay, okay. You th and you think otherwise? If they didn't play those parts, they would be perfectly fine. No. Why is that? Because one is reality, and the other one is a hypothetical. So I can't tell you what would happen hypothetically. All I can tell you is what has happened. Okay. And so what you have is in various places across the world, uh, Western intervention. Um, creates a lots of different types of color revolutions. For example, when you talk about, you know, color revolutions in Iran, which was CIA backed, right? When you talk about color revolutions in um, Russia uh, or Ukraine, Ukraine went through a bunch of different color revolutions, CIA backed, right? So a lot of this stuff is Western intervention and then also uh, Western intervention via sanctions or, you know, IMF loans, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, there's no question there's been tons of Western intervention in these countries. America is putting their nose into a lot of different things. It's always been a concept. But why do you think that these countries are able, why do you think there's there's that that influence that's able to, you know, topple these countries? Why do I think that is? Right. Why do you think a country, say, like Yemen, why are these countries in a position where the West can just do what they do. What I'm getting at, what I'm alluding to is, yes, there are outside influences that can ruin a country's fabric, mm -hmm. but I think on a deeper level, there's tremendous amounts of infighting that's happened for a while between 
countries between Arab countries, meaning within the country itself. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is one of my premise of um, how the West conquered Africa and the African people. Um, no people can really be destroyed or toppled unless they first have some sort of internal weakness. Usually when you have a strong, um, you know, uh, culture, not a lot of division internally, um, you know, you may lose a war, but usually you're not so easily um, overted. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know the history of specifically Yemen or any of these countries, right? Um, I'm just familiar with, you know, Western intervention globally. Mm. Um, in, in is this like a blame places. the white man thing? What's that? Is this like a blame the white man thing? Or is it just more of like, do you think the West or like, I don't know, wasps or Anglo-Saxons are kind of like the problem for the world or? No, nah, I wouldn't say that. Okay. Just trying to get an idea. No, nah, I wouldn't say that. I'm just going based upon, you know, what's truth, right? Like, like I told you, Ukraine, color revolution, CIA backed, Iran, CIA backed. Now the form of revolution comes in culture and pronouns, right? So for example, I'm about to do a video on uh, how Western sanctions are being placed upon a place like Jamaica because they wouldn't allow or recognize um, the gay spouse of American diplomat. They wouldn't give mm -hmm. him his, his gay spouse diplomatic community in the West is placing sanctions on them. Meanwhile, Catholic religion, which Biden is a Catholic, uh, does not allow that. There's, I think, f more than half of the states in the United States do not allow or recognize gay marriages. But the West still believes that places like Uganda needs to recognize or, you know, or change their laws in regards to um, same-sex marriages and then placing sanctions on places like this. So the West has is notorious um, for these types of things. Okay, so you're saying it's a bit of a hypocrisy when supposedly people in the West have Christian values, but they don't follow any of the Christian values. Nah, it's not what I'm saying. <laughs> That's just one piece of what I said. That's just, you know, the Biden part. Okay. What I'm saying is there is um, <clears throat> Western intervention um, that's been happening in these nations that causes destabilization and it happens continually. Um, mm. For example, you have uh, destabilization here in New, in New Jersey, where I am. Senator Menendez was caught with um, gold from Egypt. He was bribed by Egyptian officials, right? This is not mm. something that is exclusive to the West, right? So let me just preface and say that. So when you have where you have humans, you have flaws, you have ego flaws and people can be bought off. Right. So or threatened. Right. Um, also, you know, if you want to look at the most clear, clear violation of the sovereignty of a nation, you can probably look at Libya. That's probably the most clear example of violation of a nation where, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama destabilized the nation, a nation that had zero percent um, homelessness. And uh, killed Muammar Gaddafi for, you know, whatever reason. Many people think it's because of a gold-backed dinar, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is many people view that invasion of Libya as a 
war crime or just terrible behavior where Libya now has slave markets. Um, so that's another example of how the West destabilized an Arab nation. Okay, very fair, very fair. So th this is also what I think about, because this takes me full circle if we go very, very far in history. There has always been groups that had more power over others. There were parts, there were times where the Muslims had tremendous power. There were times where the Christians had tremendous power. You know, and I think, I think at this current time, the Arabs are very divided. And I think that's become, it's made it very easy for them to, you know, for other nations to take over, or to influence them. And so I look at it as there are wonderful, they're wonderful Arab people, they're wonderful Muslim people, I know many personally. But I do see a tremendous divide in the Arab nations, especially with the leadership. M much of the time, the leaders don't give their people the freedoms they need. They keep most of the money. There's a lot of bribery, bribery and corruption. So as you mentioned, when people are divided, it's very easy for them to be taken over, for them to be influenced. And I think that now with how things were with the judicial system in Israel, that was an opportunity for Hamas to come in and do some damage. And I believe that's also kind of a biblical idea. I do believe that, you know, it says this, when you're divided, you're weaker. You know, there's an opportunity for, you know, for your group to be defeated. And so I think that that's, that's a lot of the challenge we're having now is I think that there are a lot of Palestinian, pro-Palestinian countries that are very supportive of Palestinians. But when it comes down to taking them in, they're not exactly so quick to do that. So that's something I also wanted to ask you as far as Lebanon, for example. Are you familiar with the refugee camp in Lebanon, the Palestinian refugee camp? No. Okay, so there's a camp called Ain al-Hilwa. And so right now where there were different factions that are fighting. Okay, because Fatah, you've heard of Fatah? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's as far as I understand the major group there. There's also pretty confident there's Islamic Jihad and, and uh, Hamas there as well. And they've been fighting pretty aggressively. Mm -hmm. What I just am trying to understand, and I've asked someone I know who's Muslim about this, why is it that countries like Lebanon are not allowing the Palestinian refugees in their own country to become Lebanese residents and to have normal lives and freedoms just like the rest of the Lebanese? Mm -hmm. When I know that if Jews were in the same position, we would just take them in and make them our citizens. Why, why they're, they're the same people. A lot of Palestinians came from Lebanon. Mm. They're Levantine. They mm. came, many of them came from Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt. That's why you have a lot of very light-skinned Palestinians and you have a lot of dark-skinned Palestinians. Like, mm. This is another thing people don't know. It's like, there's a lot of well, Palestinians. That, well, yeah. you know, it's kind of like saying, um, you know, I want people to have, um, to not be homeless, but I ain't opening my doors to let no homeless people live with me. Right? Like you can still care about somebody's cause without saying, hey, look, come live with me, right? So they should, okay. So they should be in a refugee camp though. I'll tell you why that's a different example though. I'll tell you why I don't think that's a good analogy because it's I one thing. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't say that, but go ahead. I think it's very different when we're talking about an entire country versus your house. Okay. I think if you have the resources and you feel the need to help a homeless person and you can help, it doesn't mean you have to hold his hand through life, but if you can help him in a, in a small way, maybe get some housing, come together with a few friends to help. It's a very nice thing to do. It's very different when we're talking about a, a country like Lebanon who considers the Palestinians to be their brothers. Okay. They're Muslims. Many Palestinians have Lebanese origins. 
I think that's a very different situation. So you're saying that that makes sense for them to be in camps as opposed to just being allowed into Lebanese society? Uh, what I'm saying is if Palestinians mm -hmm. um, have a home in Palestine uh, and they're being pushed out of that home, you can say, hey, guys, stop pushing them out of, their, out of your home because they're coming here, right? Um, that that is, is, is really what I'm saying. You know, like you can say, hey, treat these people right in their home. And at the same time, you can say, I don't want them here. I, I think that could happen, no? I think that if they end up in a situation where they lost militarily and they need refuge in their, in their family and their blood relatives' land, they should still give them the option to at least be welcomed in with open arms. Well, I think. so so what you're saying is that the Palestinians should be removed from the area. That's not what, what which area, to be clear? Gaza. Gaza, that's Palestine, Canaan, not what Israel, whatever. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that the ones who are already in Lebanon. But where they not, come from. Oh, are you sure they came from that territory? They came from the Palestinian or Israeli territory. But, okay, you, that's, but it's not an I got you moment because they, again, fought They fought to delete, they fought to eliminate the Jews from the land. So my point is this. You fight a war with the goal of eradicating... Okay, yeah, okay. I'm still going to make a good point, even if you roll your eyes. The point is... is I didn't roll my eyes. Okay, but you, it's I guess like the facial movements. Let's let's, let's take a, let's take a pause really fast. Let's take a pause really fast, right? Because yeah. I don't want the emotions to run high in this conversation. I want us to just have a good conversation, and you know, um, I'm notorious for my facial expressions because sometimes I just like really the facial expression I made was just confusion. It wasn't rolling my eyes. It was just more like confusion, like huh, I'm like what. Like, Trying it's to make emotional, sense. It's of. not an emotional thing, man. It's just more of a respect thing. Like if you, if you, as long as you disagree, but I feel it's respect, I'm all good, man. That's all it is. It's it's not it's not a matter of disrespect, but it's more of a matter of understanding what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and not gaslighting me, right? So when I feel like I'm being disrespected, I might respond facially to that disrespect right okay. so when you say things like okay these people are in the refugee camps and i'm talking about them having determination in their home of palestine and then you know you say well they're in lebanon i'm like well they came from palestine right so if palestine is their home should it be their home or should it not be their home it's a good it's a good question i'm going to unpack that I would say that the Palestinians, if they grew up there and they lived there before the establishment of the state of Israel, sure, they were living there. Okay. But another thing that I've mentioned- so, Wait, 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 wait. Say that part again? If they were what? If they were there they before were, the conflict? There, if they were there before the establishment of the state of Israel, then obviously they have, so, they have a connection to it. So if they were born after, then they should go. No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, then what What do you, and who are, because, so, all right, so here's the confusion, right? So let's say grandma is there, you know, pre-Balfour declaration, right? But she has kids and the kids are there. 
do the kids stay in Palestine or do they got to go? It's not a matter of having to go or not. It's a, it, we're in a situation that's extremely complicated because Israel, Israel established itself as a Jewish state. So if we were, for instance, you know, put ourselves in a position to, say, allow all of the Palestinians from all over the world to come back in, we now have to worry about a Jewish majority. Many of the Arab world who points fingers at us, they have a Muslim majority. They don't have a, any form of a threat that there may become, a, you know, say in, in Iran, a 50%, 60%, 70% Christian majority that could now threaten the fabric of that country. There's certain values or certain ways that the Israeli government and the, the, the Jews that live there want that to remain a Jewish nation. And so that might be hard for you to understand, but this is something where aside from melting pot countries like America or Australia, which have, or France, for example, which have problems with that as it is, especially in France, and now they have to figure out how to handle the differences in values with a lot of the Muslims in France. And it's not what, this isn't me like being anti-Islam in terms of France. It's that the French have certain values. And when there's a very high population of Muslims that come in, it makes it very complicated because there are people, there are Muslims that don't want to follow the laws of France. And right. it goes that way with both sides. Right. This isn't, you, you have to understand the logic in that. Well, that's the story of the Jews in Russia, right? They didn't want to follow the laws of the land, right? So this is common amongst many different groups of people. This happens everywhere. Right. And, and you, you enter this fine line between, okay, are you being racist or are you, are you more concerned with your own group? Right. The problem is, is when you have a very small group of people, it's not nearly as complicated. Right. If the Palestinians were 10% of Israel's population, we would probably have a much easier time solving this conflict. What are, what's the population percentage? Just, as, just about as much as we are at this point. There's so a, like 50-50? There's about 2.3 million in Gaza. Mm -hmm. There's a few hundred thousand in the West Bank. There's, I think, we're at about 20% itself in, in the state of Israel itself. Then we're talking about all the, the people that call themselves Palestinian who, who are in America, Europe, you know, Sweden, wherever. There's got to be around 8 million already by now. So we're talking about more or less Wait, the same Wait, so you're population. counting the Palestinian population outside of the land too? Sure. Why? Why wouldn't I? Because they're not there. Okay. But if, I mean, the ones who are still in Lebanon are still considering themselves part of the Palestinian people. So when you talk about the Israeli population, do you include everybody outside of Israel? The Israeli population are people who have Israeli citizenship, but I still consider every Jew to have a right to it because that's the law that we created. And, and now that that could obviously lead you to say, well, shouldn't the Palestinians have the same right? The reason I think this changes is because when you, again, when you fight a war and you lose, you have to accept that all is fair in love and war and the winner gets the spoils. And so whatever, whatever we can work out, that's great. If there's a way we can work it out and have peace, that's fantastic. But to say that you lose the war on multiple occasions and now you want this half-half, you know, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours thing, that's very... That's very um, utopian, but it's not reality. It's not realistic. So right now there are people that say, oh, well, the Palestinians should have the law of return. They should all be able to come back. But there's a heavy percentage of Palestinians that don't want to share it. There's a population of Israelis that don't want to share it. So for us to say, okay, let's take this massive risk and allow all of them to come back, every single last one of them that identifies as Palestinian, to come back and live all over the country, 
is a massive security do risk. Do they want to? I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are plenty of them who, who would be open to it, but there are probably many of them also who don't want us there. We have two choices as Jews. We either, I have this conversation. So here's, here's my issue, right? I think like a conqueror, right? And I'm also very frank about thinking like a conqueror, right? So let's talk about this in regards to uh, America, right? So it is my belief that America had an indigenous population that was almost completely eradicated and the land was stolen fair and square. And, uh, you know, you can complain about it now, but you just sound like a little bitch, right? Mm. Uh, you lost, right? It, it, somebody came and they took your shit and it just is what it is. Deal with it, right? So when I think about the Israeli conflict, I, I have the same notion, right? If I'm Israel and I won the war uh, and, you know, I've destroyed your people, I don't want you on the land anymore. I would Let love to hear that. somebody just come out and just say, look, we don't want the Palestinians in this land. We're taking over. It's our land. We won the war. Just say that. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to figure out why is there's this dance instead of just saying it's, that. You know why, man? Because there's a lot of Jews that are very peaceful. We, Jewish people, listen, man. I mean, but I'm talking about you. I don't want you to speak for Jewish people. I'm talking about you. No, because I am ta I'm talking for a majority of people because I share the same thing. But I want you to talk for you. I don't want you to talk for the people. I want you Israel, to talk for it, you. Okay. Israel is the priority. You're always going to put family first. I'm not going to put the Palestinian people before the Jews. These right. are my people. The same way I wouldn't expect them to do it either. Right. Okay. So when it comes down to it, if I cannot have peace with them, if there isn't a way to have peace with them, mm -hmm. then I want the nation to remain Israel. Mm -hmm. And if that means that they have to leave, then so be it. There that isn't go. what I would ideally want. That's not what I, I wouldn't ideally want that because if many countries have all kinds of people, there's a benefit to having somewhat of a melting pot of different nations. It allows mm -hmm. you to have different thought. It allows you to have debate. It allows you to have an open mind. Mm -hmm. Every country has... A percentage of people t from a different religion or a different race yeah so it's not realistic to say we want every last one of them out because i think I'd, that's why i said i speak for most jews and most israelis because we know that a that's not realistic and b a lot of us that's not our goal necessarily we want people to accept that this is the jewish nation because unlike america and uh, native americans and americans it sounds like you're saying two different things though let me just finish this thought and then just interject when it comes to native americans and people who conquered America, they were never there beforehand. Who? The Jews were there. What I mean is, is you talk about Columbus, people who came and, and took the land from the Native Americans, they were never on that land beforehand. They never had any connection to it. The Jews undoubtedly have a connection to it. So it's a bit of a different conversation. Sure, we can talk about conquest as the main example, as the main analogy, but... This is largely a religious war because many, most Palestinians are deeply, deeply religious. So the context is very different. Right. But, you know, coming back to what you're saying before, right, it, it was like on one side you have this colonialist mindset and another side it's like, well, but we still want to have, you know, some peace with the people, blah, 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 right? Like when we were talking about the Palestinians in the Lebanon camp, right? And, and, you know, Palestinians wanting to return home and you guys are saying, nah, F that, you know, it'd be just, you know, I'd rather, I just much rather hear somebody say, Hey, let's just glass the place and remove everybody. Right. As opposed to saying, you know, like dancing around it and still saying that just, you know, in, in few words. I think you're looking for something that's not there, man, because it's not what I want. So my point is, is 
my my first and foremost desire is to have a Jewish state that's finally recognized, and not everyone's going to recognize it. It's a reality we understand. So, would there exist a Palestine? That's not a major focus for me. I want them to have recognition. That's a as, yes or as, no. Come yeah. on, Rafi. It, would there be no, a Palestine no. if there's an Israel state? Say there is no Palestine because they but lost you're, you're the war and they got their ass kicked. No, no, no. But you're trying to bait me into something that it's, it's deeper than that. My point is, is that is not a major goal, but that is not something I'm necessarily against if it can work. But if we see that it continues to not work where we cannot have our Jewish state and they are not okay with having certain parts where it's not equal, maybe they have 20% of the land, but they refuse that and they only want 80% or 100%, then fine, there won't be Palestine if that's what that means. If they can say, you know what, we'll have Gaza, we'll make it work, it's not fair, it sucks, but we lost the war and we have to deal with it. Maybe we can build, similarly to, to the palms of Jumeirah, we can build some land outward. It's not going to be an ideal situation for them. It wasn't an ideal situation for the Jews for who knows how long. It's not an ideal situation for people all over the world. The world sucks, the world's difficult, the world's challenging. I am never going to be apologetic about the Jewish people having their own homeland. Muslims have 22 countries. Christians have who knows how many countries. All of them have, have their own ability to decide what they want to do. Again, they did so largely through conquest. So the Jews, being a small group, always seem to have to explain themselves and apologize. We have our own land. We fought for it. We won. It is ours. People can hate it, like it. At this point, they're going to have to deal with it and accept it. So what we do now is we have to decide how we can make this work. And it's going to end up resulting in the, either the Palestinians or the Muslim world accepting that the state of Israel exists, coming to terms with it and trying to work with us, or we're going to end up in a world like we are now, unfortunately, where things can go terribly, terribly bad, and many of the Palestinians will either have to leave or they're going to die. And this isn't, again, what I want. All I'm saying is I don't really see another way to solve this because much of both sides does not want to just share it. They want the entire thing. And that's what makes it very challenging. And, and it's complicated. It's a super com the, the, the problem is the, the solution. No one seems to have it. Um, and, and another thing that's very interesting, and, and, and I say this not because I want this, but I say this because this was reality throughout the world, is when one group usually came to fight another group, they practically eradicated them. And that was what I was, that's what, how it's always worked with Vikings, with Romans, Greeks, Ottomans. They understood that they have to do that in order for them to actually have the land. Jewish people weren't very good at conquering land. This isn't something we did very much. So now when we came to Israel, we did a lot of damage. We obviously fought and we, you know, we won the war and a lot of people died. A lot of you know, Arabs died. But we didn't do it in terms of getting rid of every single person. There was still an ability for them to give birth, to have children, to grow we're not very good at genocide considering the, and, and I want to make this very clear, I don't consider it genocide. The fact that they were able to continue to grow and give birth and have as many of them as they do, that shows that's not our ultimate goal. We're not, we want to be able to work with them if we can. The problem is, is that it's extremely difficult based on our values and what we're looking for. It's a challenge. And what's funny about it is we have so many similarities when you, when you peel back a lot of layers. And that's what makes it so, so crazy. Um, did you have any questions for me in regards to this conversation? Because then I'm going to well, go I mean, to the Super Chats. 
I mean, I'm kind of curious to know where you stand, man. I mean, I know this is, I'm the guest. I don't, I don't stand. There's nothing I stand on. I'm, it's just between, like you said, y'all the same people, you know what I'm saying? So like, I'm just trying to figure out why this family got issues, you know? <laughs> I mean, dude, family's always got issues. There you go. So I don't, I, how can I pick a side for a family I'm not a part of? I think at the end of the day, deep down, you probably have more. You probably, if we're being honest, you probably lean more in one direction towards the other. You don't Which one would you a... guess? I think as someone who's very logical, you probably support Israel because of its ability to develop and, and create what it's created. And you also understand the idea of fighting for land and winning. But I think you probably, you're very much a conspiracy theorist from what I see. And you probably think that, and I'm not probably, let me, let me backtrack that. There might be a possibility that you're very much in support of the underdog naturally. And so you don't like how everything has turned out, but I just don't know. I don't know because you're a very intelligent guy and you've been able to remain very unbiased just based on the way the conversations are. So it's kind of hard to tell. I, uh, I'm loyal to the truth, you know, so... Truth of the matter is, Palestinians got their ass kicked. Um, the truth of the matter is, Arabs took that land from black people, Africans. So, you know, to me, it's like, ha, 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 you got what's coming to you. You know, you did it to us, now somebody's doing it to you. It's just the way of the world, right? So there's that sort of petty way to look at it. But at the end of the day, like I said, I'm loyal to the truth, where I see lies on both sides. I see, you know people from the Israeli side of things lie about shit. And I'm like, well, stop lying and tell the truth. And I look at Palestinians and I'm like, bro, that video was like 12 years old. You're trying to act like it happened yesterday. You know what I'm there's saying? A lot of, there's, first of all, there's a lot of BS on both sides of that. Yeah. And yeah, but I do think that the, the, the Muslim side right now is having a very hard time condemning Hamas. And well, I, don't, I don't understand why they would. Well, they would condemn them? Yeah. Really? Why would they? Y'all in a war. It's three factions in this planet. Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Y'all not supposed to be respectful towards each other. That's what religious wars are about. <laughs> okay. So, so if Hamas did something, I don't understand why you would expect your religious enemy to condemn it. Because I don't think that just because it's a different religion, obviously the religions oppose each other in a way, in a way, sure. But I still think that you can, as a human, in this day and age, we don't live in, the, in, in medieval times. I think you can still say, if you want to fight a war, if Hamas wants to go and fight us, okay. You want to try to take it over? Give it a shot. Obviously, I don't want, you, I don't want them to win. I want them to get their asses kicked. But if they want to try, okay. That's how the, the world works. Mm -hmm. But for you to go and just go and stab a baby or shoot a baby. I don't really see the point in that. Like, I, I understand maybe they're so angry and they just lost the, the ability to see. I think, humanity. I think, I think, I think it's not about the babies. Right. Cause for me, I just see both sides holding up babies. Like look, dead baby, look, dead baby. Right. Cause Israel's created dead babies. And so has uh, Hamas. Right. So both sides have created dead babies and it's both sides need to be happens. condemned for that. Right. Like it's a way women happens, and children right? should not be a part of this. Right. So, if Israel's killed babies and then Hamas kills his babies, it's sort of like a wash. No, it's very different. Why is it's it different? Very different. Because when you go in to, a, to border towns and you, there is no, you have guns, when you're bombing an area, mm -hmm. 
Israel, they send the leaflets. It's not perfect. They, they call them up beforehand. They do these things that most countries would never do. So it's most better It's better to kill a baby as long as you give them a heads up. The fact that we're giving them a heads up, the fact that we're giving them the... It's not hard to leave an extremely highly uh, populated area. It's a very difficult circumstance. And go the where? The fact that Israel's... There are, first of all, if you know that there's a certain area they're going to bomb, mm -hmm. there's still a chance you can leave. Mm -hmm. There's still a chance... Mm -hmm. At least we're telling them go somewhere. We mm -hmm. understand it's hard to do, but you know how many countries, if they were getting three, five thousand rockets shot into them, you think they'd be, you know what though? They're shooting the rockets because maybe you know, we we did something. They wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. Most other countries would have most other countries, even other Muslim countries, would flatten Gaza, completely flatten it if they had an air force. It wouldn't mm -hmm. be, oh, you're Muslim too, oh you're Alawi, you're Wahhabi, you're Shia like us. You know, we feel bad. The rockets are justified. You know what? We'll just send leaflets down. Most Arab countries would flatten the entire thing. Yeah. Completely. Completely. And so would most Western countries. There wouldn't be a conversation. 5,000 rockets? 5,000 rockets. Do you understand how many rockets that is? And the goal of the Iron Dome. Do you imagine if we didn't have the Iron Dome? We would destroy. It would be dest absolutely destroyed. Hmm. All right, let's go to the super chat. Zulu said, um, I thought Israel was a democracy. Okay. It is a democracy, but it's not a democracy like America because it, it is its goal is to remain a Jewish state. And so it is very much a democracy in many respects, meaning the people there that are not Jewish, that are not, uh, you know, that are Christian, Muslim, uh, whatever they believe in, they have all the respect to practice their religion. There's no, you know, Judaism isn't forced on them in any way. You can be gay, you can, uh, you know, we can talk about that. You can uh, pretty much do whatever the hell you want, as long as you follow the laws of the land, as long as you, you know, for the most part, are a law-abiding citizen. Go to the mosque, go to church, go to whatever you want. It's a very, very free country for the most part. But, it, but being a Jewish state is of, uh, like, that has a tremendous amount of importance. So it's not like in, in, in United States, for example, where it has to remain a Christian majority. Uh -huh. It's a little bit different. Tari said, uh, you said that you were a Zionist. So I'm curious to know why you say that and what exactly makes you believe in it. Uh, and also, have you ever questioned whether the Muslim prophecy is correct? Very good questions. Okay. You re repeat it one more time because I want to make sure. Repeat the question again so I want to make um, sure I correctly. Is the Muslim prophecy correct? Yeah, okay. What was the one with Zionism though? Why, are you, why do you call yourself no, no. Zionism? What, do you, what makes okay, you believe okay. in it? Okay, so so for me, Zionism again for me is the idea that we have the right to self determination in our homeland. We have the right to have our country, to be able to practice freely, to not be you know kicked out of our own land. We have our own military. We have our own government. We have our own sovereignty. We can walk around with you know with a kippa with the, with the skull cap. We can we can be proud of who we are, and that's something that we've had a, such a hard time doing for so long. And that is why I consider myself a Zionist, because we now have that freedom through that movement. And that's why I value it. Is the Muslim prophecy correct? If I believed it to be correct, I would be Muslim. I believe that anything is possible. I believe that religion is completely faith-based. If we had proof that one religion was true, we'd all be part of that religion. And I think that people who are just believe absolutely that one is true over the other, I just think are a bit naive. And I think that's also a big issue with anyone who's extreme on either side. 
And that's also what makes them so easy to control. So you look at the Arab world also, there's so many of them are so extremely religious to the point, I think, of their own detriment, where it's nice, it's not, it's nice to believe in God. It's nice to have religious values. It's a very, very special thing. And there's a lot of good to it. When you believe in it to the point where, for instance, you have, you know, ISIS values or Hamas values, when you call for the destruction of another people very clearly and outwardly, and you believe that anyone who's not doesn't have the same belief as you is wrong and evil and destined to hell, regardless of whatever religion you're a part of. Not only do I think it's moronic, I think that you're just, you're not, you're not understanding that the whole premise of religion is that you don't know all the answers, that you choose to have faith, you understand? So no, I don't believe in the prophecy of Islam. I, if anything, I believe in the prophecy of Judaism. And I'll quickly finish with that point is that each one of them have different prophetic outcomes. Christianity believes that Jesus will come. The Jews will come back as part of the prophecy. Jesus will eventually, you know, be the Messiah. That's why the evangelicals support us because that's really for that ulterior motive. The Muslims believe also that we're going to come back, but we're going to follow what I think they call the Dajjal or like the Antichrist. And then they're going to, uh, they're also going to take over. They have this whole idea of how that's going to happen. And we believe that we're going to come back, bring all the Jews back. Eventually, the Messiah will come. We're going to create a third temple and whatnot. Do I know if any of that's true? No, dude, I don't. <laughs> but at the end of the day, even though religion is a massive part of all this, as Jewish people, as a group of people, as a nation, first and foremost, I believe that they should have a place. They should have their own country. Rel like religion aside, not that you can put it aside necessarily, but even before we get into the religious conversation. Um, 87 Sparker said, I wonder if Israel would have the same power if we didn't send them U.S. tax money. Um, you want to make a comment on that? Sure, absolutely. First of all, um, I share, there are a few people I share this notion with. It's very good that we have U.S. support for many reasons. Obviously, when you have a country like Iran threatening us, it's, it's comforting knowing that America's got our back. On the other hand, it's also made things very difficult for us. I think, first of all, something that a lot of people don't know is that the money we get from America, we have to spend on American weapons. We can't just buy whatever we want. It has to be spent back into the, back into American products. Now, again, that's still a big thing, but I also don't think America's doing it. I don't think America's doing it just because they love us. They see a benefit of having a Western-style nation in that region. Um, and if we had an option to not get the $3 billion from America every year, there's a large part of me that would rather not have it because then we wouldn't be as in, we wouldn't have to rely on America for as many of the decisions we do. Because there are certain instances where America is giving us advice and telling us to do things that are not in our best interest. So I think that Israel is already at a point financially and militarily, militarily where they could probably manage. But it's tough because we're a very small nation. There's a lot of people threatening us. And it's scary to say, okay, we just have faith that God will protect us if we're alone. But when we see how many enemies, see how many countries are pretty down to, to wipe us out, it, it's good to know that we have America as, as an ally. Um, Boys Entertainment says, uh, what's the purpose of an Iron Dome if it can't stop a bunch of bottle rockets coming from surveillance? Okay, very easily answered. Most of the rockets, first of all, they're not all bottle rockets. They were in the earlier Israel-Gaza wars. Many of them are a lot more advanced now. Um, a lot of them are coming from Iran, and they are not as cheap as they used to be. And Iron Dome still does an incredibly, incredibly good job at, at 
shooting most of them down and deflecting them. But there have been so many shot in this war. We're talking, you know, thousands of rockets. They were able to overwhelm the Iron Dome, but the vast majority of them were still intercepted. And now they just released what's called an iron beam. This is why I'm so proud to be Jewish and Israeli, because most of these countries could never invent this sort of thing. Um, is this, this the Jewish space lasers? Yes, the Jewish space lasers. <laughs> Mr. Conspiracy Theorist. You That's a real little, thing. You, you got to get your little... Uh, this is a real thing? thing? It's a real thing. So it's much cheaper. It already has been... Uh, it's been built already, and I'm pretty sure they started mobilizing it. It's much cheaper than the Iron Dome. Much, 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 much cheaper. It's like a couple of dollars to use it every time. Um, and it's supposedly going to be more effective with longer range, more powerful missiles. And I'm pretty sure they've already... They were they already started to I don't know if it's being used yet, but there are talks about it. Okay, cool. All right. Um let me do let's go into uh some news updates and then I'll let you go and then we'll close out the show. Hold on a second. I'm gonna bring some articles up. You can tell me what you think about some of these articles here. Give me a second. Put this on the screen. Where are we? Right there. Wonderful. Everybody can see that, right? Cool. Let me just stretch it out a little bit. So we have a couple of updates here. Um, <laughs> Janet Yellen's tripping, by the way. Anyway, uh, Gary Gensler calls for AI regulation. He believes without uh, regulation... A financial crisis triggered by AI is nearly unavoidable within a decade. Uh, and I spoke about this uh, last week and maybe a few times before chat uh, where I basically said uh, AI regulation is coming and they're going to raise the barrier to entry. And I spoke about that at CME as well. So keep a lookout on that. Um, U.S. wants to monitor um, semiconductors going um, to China. So there's some limits on some of that stuff. Uh, NVIDIA said it's not going to hurt their business. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye on that. But there is some stuff coming out of the Biden administration as far as uh, semiconductors for the creation of AI chips. And all this stuff is sourced on my on my Twitter. If you go to my Twitter, you can find all this stuff sourced. For my audio listeners, just type in AI Daily Update uh, in my name and you'll see it pop up. Um, and then there's uh, a bipartisan no fakes act introduced to protect performers from unauthorized AI generated replicas. Uh, and basically, this is, you know, anybody want to say, you know, take, let's say, Rafi's voice and do something with it. He would automatically be protected. And but they do say there are some exclusions for First Amendment purposes, whatever that may be. So keep an eye on that. Any comments on those headlines? Oh, it's just scary, man. <laughs> yeah. The AI, the idea of like using someone else's voice. Yeah. Everything, man. Just like these AI relationships. People can just, you know, let's say you have like a politician. You can just create some AI scandal that he's, he was, you know, having an affair with someone. There's just so many scary things that can happen from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the double-edged sort of technology. Um, CBDC update, Reserve Bank of, of, of Australia is looking to adopt a, a CBDC and they say Singapore, China, and Cambodia lead the pack in CBDC development. And then also published today on menoforder.com. You guys are all familiar at menoforder.com. Gavin Newsom has put out um, regulations in California against crypto. Go to menoforder.com to read all about that update. Uh, how do you feel about crypto? You in, you out, bearish, bullish? 
I've never been such a crypto guy, to be honest. So I can't really speak too much on it. <laughs> You're not a crypto it. guy? No, no crypto? You have no crypto? I've had a little bit. Okay. But, uh, You're yeah. participating. I mean, now barely. Okay. I've never really been into it. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest inventions ever, uh, cryptocurrency. We love uh, crypto on this channel. Shout out to Syscoin and our tech update of the day. Uh, Rafi, thank you very much for the conversation. Um, you could just hit the leave button and I'll close out the show. Thank you for coming on. And I will, I will get your links in the description box from your email and update uh, the streams with those. Sounds good. Sounds good. And just one thing I just wanted to mention, obviously the links will be there, but if you guys want to see more of this content about Israel-Palestine, you can follow me on Soothing Semantics on YouTube and uh, leave your comments. And that is all. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you, Jose. Appreciate you. Hell yeah. No problem. Uh, hold on. Let me fix the screen. We're going to take phone calls. Yeah, I know we do phone calls. Let's take phone calls. Um, 202-596-5631. 202-596-5631. Text HOTEP in your name to 202-596-5631. I'm going to take phone calls for about 30 minutes here. Try to be as brief as possible. And we'll take those phone calls um, right after this short, brief commercial break. <laughs> 